and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host, and this week I have been talking to Ross Nyland. Ross is currently based in London, where he's the CEO of Queen's Club. And during the episode, we discuss uh, that role, how, how he started in the role, um, how he, the year has been since he took up the role, how that year has been for him and his, his visions and, and, and plans for, for the future in, in the role. Uh, we also discuss um, Ross's, Ross's earlier days in tennis, growing up in, in London playing the game. And in addition to that, we talk about Ross's days playing uh, high t- tennis to a, to a high level uh, when he, he represented Munster in various Interpro events and also played for, for Ireland in, in Four Nations events and, and more recently in 2019 in, in the, the Potter Cup when he was part of Ireland's winning team last year. I really enjoyed this episode, and I, I think it's a it's, it's he has some really great perspectives, and it's it's fascinating to 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 learn about about what it's like to to, to be at, at the head of, of such a large club as uh, as Queens Club. And um, I really enjoyed talking to Ross, and, and I think you'll take a lot from this episode. So, without further ado, here is Ross Nyland. Ross, thanks very much for for joining me today and talking. It's really great. No problem at all, Adam. Good to chat. Um, yeah, no. Just, just firstly, how how are things? I know you're you're based in London, so how how have things been for you the last the last few months? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's been it's been strange, really. You know, I guess two months ago, or sorry, for the first two months of lockdown, we obviously shut the club down fully, um, and we're pretty much at home apart from being able to go out for one walk, one bit of exercise a day. And uh, you know, I've got two young children. The children were not in school. Um, so it was a very strange time, really. I guess we're quite lucky that when we shut down kind of mid-March, the weather uh, turned good. And we've actually had a pretty good summer uh, from a weather perspective over here. And um, I guess just in terms of, you know, from a, from a club perspective, the, uh, you know, the first couple of months when the club was shut down, I, you know, was, was pretty busy initially, I guess, kind of furloughing staff. And, you know, I have 100 staff who work here and, and, and having to kind of figure out what to do with them, given the club was closed. Um, and then kind of, I guess, getting kind of used to what Zoom was and, and, and learning about the whole kind of uh, Zoom app and, and, and how that actually yeah. can work to your, to your favor, really. So it's, it's been a bizarre two months um, initially. And then obviously the club's been open since kind of mid-May and I've, I've kind of been back in work you know, five days a week since since the middle of May. But you know, things are things are certainly not gone back to normal. But there's a degree of normality that we've kind of come back to. Yes, yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know, you're the, the, the CEO of Queens Club in in London. So how how did that role start for you, and and, and when and, and when did you start that? Well, I started uh, just over a year ago. So my timing hasn't been exactly fantastic. I, I thought I would have a. A tournament under my belt by this stage and, and I certainly didn't expect to cancel a tournament um, and you know shut the club down in my first year here that certainly wasn't yeah. part of the interview process but you know I've been been in banking ever since I left university so I did 22 years in the city 16 years at JP Morgan and then I kind of felt you know do I want to do this for the rest of my life or do I want to do something different so I, I kind of after 22 years I felt that you know if I didn't do something in the next number of years I'd end up doing probably another 10 years in banking and uh, you know is that something I, what I wanted to so um, I, I kind of I guess I started looking really at the, the, the kind of role of sport as, as a business to go into um, I had a few conversations and then um, about I guess about 
nearly two years ago now, the, the role of, of CEO of Queen's came up um, and my predecessor had been here for 11 years and was retiring. And I just felt actually it was a, it was a pretty interesting role for me, really. Um, and one I kind of, given the fact that my background and I've played and been involved in tennis all my life was something I could um, kind of fit into quite easily. Um, so, yeah, so I've, so I've been here just over a year. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a year, it's been a year to remember and a year to forget at, at, at the same time. Yes, absolutely. It's been a, it's not what you would have expected. Um, Definitely not. <laughs> so you said it was about a year ago that, that you started. So pre-lockdown, what kind of stuff were you doing? How did you kind of settle into it? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of a hundred full-time staff really. So a lot of what I was okay. doing was, was getting to know my management team, getting to know all the staff. I mean, one of the things about running a club of this size is that we have a full, you know, food and beverage offering. So we, ha we, you know, we have catering open from eight in the morning till 11, 11 o'clock at night. We have a shop that's open all the time. We have, you know, full-time groundsmen, eight groundsmen, maintenance people. So I guess a lot of it really, the first six months was getting to know A, the staff and the hundred staff, B, the, the board. And the board are obviously, there are 12 people on, on the board. They're all members of the club. Um, and... So yeah, I guess the first six months was getting to know the the business, the people in the business, uh, and you know, I, I guess the plan then was to, you know, having observed for the first few months, to put some of what I kind of gleaned out of that in, into action, um, and then obviously this thing kind of came down and 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 you know has meant that the role has changed pretty dramatically in that period. Now, I guess in addition to running a club kind of for 11 and a half months a year there's also the tournament aspect to it as well so um one of my kind of key relationships is with the lawn tennis association they uh, run the event with us they do a lot of the operational work we run it as effective as a joint venture um so aside from running the club i, I guess i kind of you know i'm involved in the tournament committee running running the tournament uh, so i was getting my you know we were in kind of planning mode initially for for the tournament for this year 2020 um and then I guess we had to we had to we had to cancel it. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So what kind of even even pre lockdown, what kind of challenges were you encountering in, in the world that you might not have seen coming? How, how did you kind of get on with it? Uh, I, I think the biggest challenge is uh, you know I, you know running a, an operation of this size is always going to be kind of day to day operational challenges. Um, but I think one of the things that I kind of knew a little bit going into, it, but you kind of got to live it to understand it in running a club we got four and a half thousand members and um the reality of running a club is those four and a half thousand members have their own view on the way the club should be run and they're not always, always going to be thinking the same way as each other so i guess one of the challenges really is to to come up with with, with a plan a strategy and, and 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 an offering for for members that you know can keep as many of those happy as possible but i think the thing you've got to recognize and the thing you realize pretty quickly when you go into this role is that you're not going to keep everyone happy because some people want one thing and there are other members who want the exact opposite. Um, so the challenge really, I guess, is, is understanding what the, you know, the broader membership want, but communicating to those members and the particular those members who maybe, you know, don't get what they think is the right kind of offering that, that you actually communicate that to them and explain what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I think that's the biggest challenge. And that's the biggest, one of the biggest parts of the role aside from running the club is actually, kind of managing members, communicating with them and, and making that individual member feel like they're very important, whether or not you can actually, you know, 
deal with what whatever they want is not really that relevant it's, it's whether they actually feel like you're engaged and, and communicating with them i think is the, yeah. the biggest challenge and with that number yeah. of members that's you know that's there are a lot of there's a lot of demand on your time uh that actually comes from the members as opposed to actually running the club yeah um and so how excited when things get back to more and more normal do you have kind of projects and you know in the pipeline and think things you're kind of trying, trying to work and put in place yeah, and I, I guess one of the one of the issues really with with uh, coronavirus is we have you know one of, I guess one of the big parts of my role is really in terms of strategically you know how do we develop the estate and we with four and a half thousand members we've got quite a lot of pressure on court utilisation particularly at peak times in in the winter for those indoor courts we have twelve indoor courts but you know it sounds like a lot but people can't get you know, bookings at, at the times they want to. And that's one of the kind of member challenges. So with that in mind, I, I guess one of my plans was to actually get another couple of indoor courts built. We have planning permission for another bubble. Um, yeah. But there was quite a big um, bit of work involved in actually constructing that, which we were going to do actually this winter. Um, but you know, for obvious reasons, with when coronavirus came down, we decided to delay that a little for 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 a year. We're quite challenged because because we run the tournament that any big um, capital project or any kind of major construction project has to be done within a window that doesn't touch on the tournament. So any construction project we do has to be done within a nine month yeah. window, really between kind of August and May. Um, and I guess one of the challenges for that this year was, you know, what happens if there's another lockdown. Um, it wasn't clear to us that we could actually finish a, a construction project in that window, so we've had to delay that. Um, but we, you know, I guess we still intend on coming back, hopefully next year, and, and actually doing that, providing more indoor facilities to members to alleviate really that pressure on courts. And, and, and I think that's, you know, that's an exciting part of my role is to is to improve the club and keep keep kind of giving better service and better offering to members. Very good, yeah, very good. Um, now you mentioned obviously the the tournament, and that's what a lot of people will be familiar of, you know, familiar with when they think of of Queens Club. Um, so do do you kind of see yourself? I know you haven't experienced it yet, but you know, during during the tournament, kind of being that week or that, those couple of weeks, being almost you know living in the office and being busy, busy, you know, just you know, it's been mental for you. Yeah, and I, I think you know, I, I I my predecessor Andrew, who did eleven years, so I did shadow him for one day of. Hmm. Of the last year's tournament, the tournament happened, and funny enough, the day I, I shattered him, it, it rained all day. So I'm not sure whether I'm a <laughs> much good luck to the tournament at the moment. Um, it is for the you know for those four and a half thousand members, for the vast majority of those members, the tournament is everything for them in terms of it's the best week of the of the year for them. And you know the the, the clubhouse part of, of of the site is incredibly busy. So you know we do more events, we we do more. Um, we cater for more of the members than we do any other week of the year. So it is incredibly busy from what I can see in my kind of shattering day uh, I had really dealing with, and our staff increases. So we have, as a club, we have 100 staff kind of year round, but that increases to 200 mm-hmm. for the tournament. And that's just the clubhouse aspect of it. The LTA also, you know, employ a lot more people as well for that week. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think it, it's a pretty manic week. But the staff love it. If you, if you, you know, they're all incredibly disappointed this year. It's the highlight of everyone's yes yeah. year, really, both from the members and the staff's point of view. But it's it it it's it, it's a busy week, and they're all pretty exhausted from what I hear by the end of it. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, it, I, I expect that there's a lot, of, there's a lot going on. And, and as I said, you know, it's it, it's not just the week itself, really, for for the staff because we're a club with not that much permanent infrastructure around delivering a tournament. We, you know, the stands get built in the five, six weeks before the tournament, and they get dismantled in the two, three weeks afterwards. So really, it's a probably a two and a half month process for the club to get ready for it and 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 to to actually get back to being a club as we know it uh, for the mm. balance of the year so, yeah you know, no, it's definitely yeah. the busiest part of the year yeah no i mean you said as well as being busy it's it really is the highlight for for many members many staff i'd say it'd be similar for yourself as well it'll be busy but you'll it'll probably be possibly you know what, what you enjoy the most from from the role Absolutely. And I, and I think if I'm being, you know, and I've said this quite a few people already, that one of the biggest attractions of the role was effectively it was two jobs within one. One was it was running a, a members club for 11 and a half weeks a year and then it was running a massive event. Um, and I think the fact that it has this big pro, high profile event and we've all anyone who's kind of been involved in tennis has loved kind of watching Queen's. Um, you know, from when they started playing tennis and, and being involved in that is something which, you know, is incredibly exciting. And, and I just hope next year we're able to deliver it. Um, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So would you say come Wimbledon then with, through the LTA, will you you'll be heading along and getting some VIP tickets or something as well? <laughs> I'm quite lucky. So I guess from, from a Wimbledon perspective, I actually live around the corner there. I'm quite lucky. I'm actually a member there. So I tend oh, okay. to, uh, whilst there won't be VIP tickets, I, uh, I, 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 I'm quite lucky in that, that I have access there anyway. Um, I guess the biggest challenge really for, for both Queens and, and Wimbledon next year is, you know, how many spectators, how many members will be allowed to actually watch. And that's the big unknown at the moment. It's a, what we spend a lot of time at the moment scenario planning on, but we don't have all the answers. And, you know, we're, we're planning for everything from a behind the closed doors event to a, a fully fledged event and everywhere in between. You know, yeah. I think at this stage, doesn't seem likely that we'll be able to have a fully fledged event but mm. the next few months I think will tell everything. Yeah and um, to go back a little bit I saw that you you you, you played in Queens um, maybe 15-20 years ago you would have, would have been a member yourself as well and and played so how did that start so you were living in London obviously how did you kind of choose Queens and, and start playing there? Yeah I think I first played at Queens actually when I was I went to uh, Oxford University and the annual Blues match against Cambridge was actually played at Queens back when I was playing in it. Uh, so my kind of first experience of Queens was actually playing in that blues match on, okay. on the grass here at Queens. And the grass at Queens have always been incredibly good courts. They've always been recognized as some of the best courts, grass courts in the world. So having played, I guess, in that varsity or blues match, I, you know, got to know the club reasonably well. There was also quite a number of people from Oxford who had been or who were members of Queens at the time. And, and, I guess I was at that age really where I was playing quite a lot of tennis and that gave me the ability to kind of fast track into membership because I was able to play for the first team here. So mm. straight away after, after finishing university, I, was, I moved to London. I was looking for a club and, and Queens is one of those which, you know, was at the forefront of my mind in terms of because it's such a beautiful club, great facilities to play, play there. So I, I applied and I guess because I, my standard was at a reasonable level that I, that I got in pretty much straight away with the view of playing uh, on, on the teams here. Very good, yeah. Do you still get to play now? Yeah, I guess one of the one of the perks of the role is um, as CEO, I become a, a member of the club for that duration of, of the um, of my role. Um, and I do play here. I play actually played here yesterday. 
uh, but it's not the only club I play at. I guess I try not to be on the court all the time. It's been a, it's been a pretty busy year. Yeah. You know, particularly with COVID and everything, trying to deal with whatever regulations and guidelines was coming out every week. There wasn't a huge amount of time for, for playing here, um, but I do play a little bit here and I tend to, I think it's a good way of actually, you know, getting the temperature of the club and the members really is to play with them a little bit here. So I do, so I do get out on court a bit, but I wouldn't be out every day or anything like that on courts, oh. unfortunately. Absolutely, yeah, that, that makes sense. You got getting to to keep in touch and and see what it's actually like to to play and be at that side of it. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so to go back even even more, um, I know you you come from you know a sporty a, a tennis kind of family. So was it inevitable that you'd fall into into a sport and even fall into tennis at a at a high level? Yeah, I think. I mean, my mum was actually the one who. Um, played tennis when she was younger initially she played for Connacht um my dad was a Gaelic footballer um so he you know he'd never played uh, when he was younger but I think what was inevitable was when we when we were younger we lived in Birmingham and we lived in a place called called Edgebaston and we were about 100 yards from a from a club called the Edgebaston Priory which for those of you kind of follow tennis you may be aware that it's the one of the tournaments for the for the women pre-Wimbledon and it's an amazing club with, you know, they had, I can't remember how many grass courts, 25 grass courts, indoor courts, they had swimming pools. It was an amazing club to be part of. So we were living 100 yards from there. And when I was kind of six or so, my parents decided to join it and brought me and my sister, Gina, was two years older than me, down there to, I guess, you know, start playing tennis. So my mum was the first person to bring us out in court. Um, with a basket of balls and, 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 you know, I kind of fell in love with it pretty quickly um, as did Gina. So I guess that's how the kind of the family started off. My mum kind of introduced it to us and we were in a, in a, in a beautiful club. And, and I guess pretty quickly then we started getting involved in playing some of the tournaments and I played in the, uh, the, the it was around that time they started the short tennis, which effectively is a kind of a variation now of the Red Bull. And they started this competition, the British under nines uh, short tennis championships. And so I played that. I remember playing in Coventry. And I remember practicing with my dad a bit beforehand. And then I went up to Coventry and didn't know how I'd get on in it. Um, anyway, I did pretty well. And I kind of ended up in the, in the final of it after, I think it was over two days. And I, I played in the final against uh, a guy called Tim Hemman from Oxfordshire. <laughs> So um, that was when we were eight and we kind of both uh, as kind of finalists of that, we were brought to Wimbledon that year to do an exhibition in Wimbledon uh, on a, a kind of a, a pop-up short tennis course. And we were filmed on BBC and interviewed by Des Lynham at the time. And it's probably, if you ever watch kind of Wimbledon over the last few years and you see Tim uh, when he was eight kind of on TV, he was actually the guy, he was actually playing as me at the time. So I, I guess it was kind of, you know, one of those sports that if you get into it as a family, you tend to stay in it for life and, and the whole family get involved with it. And then obviously Gina um, had, a, had a fantastic career really. And we, when we moved back to Limerick, my parents built a, a tennis court at the back garden. Um, nice. And really it was myself and Gina kind of after school practicing with each other, kind of brought each other, up, brought each other on. My dad got involved then in, in, in terms of coaching us and he had a very good feel for the game in terms of, you know, technically as to what we should be doing. Um, so I guess that, you know, it, 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 there was a little bit of kind of luck at it in terms of where we were living at the time, but I think ultimately it's driven by 
um, you know, by the family and particularly my parents in terms of, you know, the support they gave us. And, uh, and then obviously my kind of two brothers, Ray and Connor got involved and, and, and I guess Connor's story is pretty, uh, pretty well told at this stage. So it's a little bit of background on how we got into it. Yeah, so obviously back in Ireland, when you were back living in Ireland, I know you got to play, you know, to a, to a good level, you would play kind of international stuff for Ireland, you would have played, played for Munster. So what kind of highlights do you have from, from those days of, of playing at that kind of level and, and those kind of stages? Yeah, I remember, I remember kind of playing for Ireland a few times as a, as a, as a junior in the underage um, kind of four nations. I had, a, I had a pretty strong age group in terms of, you know, there was Scott Barron and Stuart All and Ender Flynn were my... Um, we were in my same age group as me, same year. And then you had a couple of guys, Tom Hamilton, Mike McMahon, who were, who were the year younger than us. So we had actually a pretty strong kind of cohort of players in, in my kind of year or two. Um, and we kind of, you know, I remember playing all, all, the, all the local kind of Dublin tournaments growing up. Um, and then I guess you know, when I finished school, I did my leaving at 16. I took a year out before going to university. And I actually went on, I guess, the ITF under 18 tour. Um, so I spent two months down in South America um, and a month or two in, in, uh, in Europe playing in those kind of world junior under, under 18s with Ender. Flynn was, was one of the guys I traveled with and Scott was over there as well. And I guess one of the highlights there was you're playing in these, you know, these clubs all over the world and you're playing in, you know, I played Kafelnikov in it, Henman, Marcelo Rios. So it was amazing to play against those guys, but I guess it kind of, made me realize my career was going to be in, in, in business rather than in tennis. Um, and then I kind of went to, to university. I went to UCD, continued playing quite a lot when I was in UCD. And as you said, kind of played in the Interpros and, and obviously the kind of the, the money tournaments in Ireland. And I guess in terms of kind of my highlight really was, I think in 96, I got picked on the Irish team to play in the Four Nations, the senior team to play in the Four Nations with Owen Casey. Um, and, you know, obviously Owen had a, had a pretty fantastic career um, in Davis Cup and beyond. But, you know, I think certainly from my perspective, playing for Ireland in that was definitely the highlight of, of, of my career in, in tennis. Big time, yeah, brilliant. Um, so do you think, you said after, after university, you then went into kind of the world of, of banking and finance and, and out of kind of tennis in a professional sense. So do, do you think that having the background in tennis and high performance tennis, do you think that kind of gave you an advantage or, or helped you when you moved into that, that banking world? I think it does. I mean, I think I think where it kind of helps most really is is dealing with dealing with pressure. Um, you know, in banking, particularly in the in the side of banking I was involved in, your kind of results are measured on a daily basis. Um, you know, you have performance reports every day that come out, and there's no hiding behind those. I guess there, there's there's a, there's a degree of similarity really with tennis in terms of you know it's an individual sport. There's no hiding place in tennis. Team sports, you can have a bad 10, 20 minutes, and you know your teammates can can bail you out of it but in, in in tennis there's nowhere there's nowhere to go you've about 20 minutes you've, you've lost a set so I think I, I think that kind of dealing with dealing with the pressure dealing with the scrutiny was something which I think it certainly helped in terms of it in in banking um I think also just it helps in terms of discipline and and, and kind of focus as well I mean there are no easy routes to success in life and it's all about the kind of work you do in the background whether that's training in tennis or you know the work and the preparation you do in business um there's no substitute for it really so i think you know what it teaches you really is to is how to knuckle down i also think that tennis being an international sport um is one way you meet a lot of different people from different international backgrounds i think that helps in terms of 
uh, your outlook on life and, and how you can you know deal with people particularly the, the former banking I was in was pretty international so you had a pretty good kind of understanding of different cultures having traveled through tennis as well absolutely um, yeah yeah and then to look at it the other way do you think that coming you know having been in the banking world for so long do you think that then helped you in any ways or did you learn something there that then helped you when you came back into the, the tennis world last year in Queens yes I think um I think it's a different world in terms of you know, the speed of banking and, 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 and the responsiveness of, of everyone in banking was something that's kind of, you know, not in every industry. Um, and I think it took me a bit of time to kind of realize that things happen at a slightly different pace in, in other forms of business. Um, but the flip side of that is I think, you know, that ability to, to turn things around quickly, I think, was, you know, was something that that helped to be brought into the business here in, 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 the, in into the world of sport. Um, and, and that kind of quick decision-making really was, was, was quite valuable. So I think, I think there are, there are aspects of, of, um, of banking that you can bring over, but the reality is, you know, there, there are bits that uh, banking is quite specialized and the role of it now is quite much more kind of general management. So there are, there are aspects where, where you have to readjust to. And I guess the, you know, the diversity of, people I have to deal with from a staffing point of view is a lot wider than it would have been in in banking um, but I think a lot of the members here at Queen's you know a lot of them are from that kind of banking world mm. so I think I can relate to them pretty well given my background there um, yeah. and I, but I think the thing the other thing that kind of helped me most was was and why it wasn't too much of a leap for me really was you know I've been like a lot of us who's, who've played a lot of tennis we've been involved in around tennis clubs all our all our lives and I think we understand what makes a good tennis club, what members want and what works and what doesn't work. And I think we also then have the confidence that we can actually, if we have an opinion on something, that we're not afraid to express it because we've kind of, we've seen it and we, and we have strength in our convictions on it. I think if it, was a, if it was a different sport, if we went in to run, you know, a club, say a rowing club or, you know, a football club or something where I probably didn't have such a, uh, I hadn't been immersed in it all my life, I'd have probably found that a bit more challenging. Yeah. Whereas I think, I think going into a telescope, I think, you know, I'm pretty confident in terms of, you know, having, having kind of seen it a lot of times in my life at various clubs. That makes sense. Yeah. Having been on one side helps you when you go over to the other side and try and, yeah. and try and run us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I just want to go on and something else in, in kind of the tennis world, uh, touch on, on the Potter cup last year, when you, I know yeah. you played, played there when Ireland went, Went all the way. How, how do you look back on on that week? Uh, yeah, it was amazing, really. I mean, I, I guess first and foremost, I was I was lucky to be part of such a strong team. I think I kind of mentioned, you know, tennis being an individual sport, but I think that the thing I did well there was get myself on a team with a good bunch of guys who performed amazingly. Um, and it was a, it was a great weekend, really. It kind of felt a little bit like being back, kind of in your teenage years or early twenties, back as a, a full time player again. We were, you know no distraction of work, you know, kind of no family, um, you know, commitments. We went to kind of Barcelona for four or five days, practice on the red clay there in the heat uh, and just kind of fully focus on, 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 on the game of tennis, which you probably haven't done in 20 plus years. I mean, I mean, the competition was incredibly strong. I mean, Michael Pernfors, who got to the final of the French Open, was playing number three, would you believe, for the US team. Um, and uh, you know, I hope you won't mind me saying this guy called Peter Hannon, who's a member of Wimbledon, 
when I told him who was on the team, we had a very strong team in my view with, you know, some, some, of, some of the top kind of Irish players ever really with Scott and, and Owen and Stuart and those guys. Um, and then you had, you know, you know to some very strong guys like John Rendina and Alan and, and, and Garvorn as well. You know, Peter said to me, wow, that's an amazingly strong team. And Peter played in the Potter Cup for many times. and was a really good player himself. He says, that's an amazing side you've got going over there. He says, I reckon you might come fifth. And he was being genuine about it. He thought fifth would have been an amazing performance for us to, to have done something Ireland had never done. And, um, you know, I, I think we, you know, we won a couple of tight matches along the way and then kind of momentum built up and we found ourselves in the final against the French. And, uh, you know, there are a few kind of standout performances across the board. John Rendina, you know, won his match in the, uh, in the final against France in four hours. I mean, you know, 47 years old or whatever, John is playing four hours on clay was, was amazing, really. And the level never dropped. Um, but, you know, I think it was, it was, it was an incredible weekend, really. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I take away from that, a lot of those guys put a huge amount of work in physically in advance of that. And it really paid off for them. Um, and obviously, you know, having Scott playing number one, he was playing amazing tennis and in great shape and Owen with his kind of expertise, you know, and then, you know, having Garvon kind of managing the whole group, but it was, it was, uh, it was a great week and one that kind of, I don't think any of us will ever forget really. It's going to be, um, a challenge to repeat it in terms of the level it is going to be pretty, pretty strong. And, um, you know, it was, it was fantastic really. Yeah, how was that moment when you found out that you won as a team? It was a bit surreal, really, because we, you know, I remember actually listening to your podcast the other week, and I think it was Owen Casey who was talking about it. It, it, it was, you know, it was, it was such a long kind of singles match. I think I mentioned John's kind of four-hour match there. Um, I think it was incredible excitement, really, the fact that, you know, we'd actually done something which, no Irish team really had got close to doing in the past, and um, and 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 there to be there together as a group of people, um, you know, I'd met, I'd known all the guys before, you know, for for years since I was mm. kind of ten. Um, the only guy I'd never met before was a great guy, Alan Donnelly, and um, you know, to spend, I guess, to to kind of to win that with all those kind of guys around you was was incredibly. Um, you know, it was incredibly kind of precious, really. Yeah, so obviously 2020 uh, was called off so that you didn't have a chance to defend your title, but are you going to go back next year and, and go, for, go for the double? Yeah, we're still the reigning champions. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was actually going to be captain uh, manager this year. Um, uh, Garvorn, after many years, was, was, you know, I guess going out on a high. Yeah. Um, and we were going to go ahead with it and we still had a great, you know, a, a, the nucleus of a great side in terms of obviously Scott and Stuart, you know, who played amazing tennis that weekend as well, John. Um, and a couple of guys like Tom Hamilton and Mike McMahon and those guys coming into the fray, you know, I think we'd have had a, we'd have a very strong side. So we'd, we're definitely keen to go and try and kind of retain our title. Um, yeah. But I think we recognize it's going to, it's not going to be easy, you know, every year you're older in that age group, there are a couple of guys from a younger age group coming up. Um, but we'll give it our best shot anyway and see how we get on. Absolutely. And good luck, Ruth. Best of luck. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, you know, I just want to ask if you if you have a few more questions for you, uh, Ross. Really appreciate your time. Um, I want to finish off with a bit of a, a quick fire round, if that's okay. So some, of course. Some quick, uh, quick, quick questions and, and quick answers. So are you ready? Yeah. No problem at all. Yeah. Uh, Favourite shot? 
Slice serve out wide. And favorite surface? Medium pace hard court. And favorite player? McEnroe. Uh, Queens or Wimbledon? <laughs> <laughs> Queens, have to say that. Has to be. <laughs> um, what, what advice would you give your, your teenage self if you could... This can be a little bit less quick for you now. But what, what advice would you give your, your teenage self if you could go back and tell yourself something? Um, I think kind of believe in yourself uh, is, is one bit of advice. And I, you know, I, I think if I look at people who have been successful both in life and but also in kind of tennis, those people who've got incredible self-belief. And I think that's, that's an inc- incredibly important kind of thing to try and um, cultivate. Um, but also kind of take risks as well. I think, you know, traditionally there's, there's always, a, a, people always think there's kind of an established route to being successful in life and, and kind of having, I, I guess, looking back, you know, maybe take a few risks in life and there's not one route to success. Um, and, you know, taking a risk, even if it fails, doesn't mean you can't go back and, and try a different route and be successful that way. Um, so don't feel like you have to take a conventional route to something. Feel free to take risks and you'll learn from that and, and try and kind of incorporate those lessons in terms of what, you, what you're going to do going forward. Brilliant, yeah. It's wise words, wise words. Very good. Uh, and finally, your, your favourite thing about tennis? If I may, I, might, I guess there might be two things. I think the scoring system in tennis is amazing. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's one of the few sports in the world which, which has that, that the match is never over until it's actually over. Um, but also I think it, 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 it's a sport for life. So, you know, whatever age I'm now, 46, you know, you're still able to go to any club in the world and it's also an international sport. So you go to able, any, able to go to any club in the world to, to any age in the world and continue playing with people you've known since you were 10 or people you meet kind of when you're 46. So, you know, I, I think that's quite unique as a sport. Um, or certainly there are very few other sports like it that you can actually play it from, from, from you know, every age until you can stop playing. Um, that's definitely, I would say, one of, the, one of the beauties of it. Brilliant, yeah. Now, I said last question, but are there any real changes you'd make? Anything you'd, you'd change in tennis if you could? Um, I think they could easily get away with the, 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 the net rule or in, in for serving. I, you know, I, I think they could... Uh, they could lim- eliminate that. They could certainly change, um, uh, shorten some of the warm-ups. warm-ups. Mm. I think they're the two things I, w- I would change. I would not tinker with the scoring. I'd not get rid of five sets for men's tennis. I think that'd be a disaster in Grand Slams. Um, yeah, those two things I think I would... Uh, yeah, would, would, you, would you change the short juice or would you keep it long juice? No, I'd keep it long juice. I know in... in um, you know, certain aspects of obviously doubles and, uh, you know, college tennis, they, they have. I just think um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I, I think if you look at the men's game at the moment, um, they don't need to change that. It's not to say they shouldn't, you know, maybe try kind of different forms of the game in, in certain kind of events. But, you know, in the traditionally kind of big tournaments, I think um, you should keep the, keep the, keep the, keep the long juice. Absolutely, yeah. I think I think I agree with you on that one. I'm I I I I'm I'm a fan of of long juice, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um right, Ross, I think we'll leave it there. I just a big Great. thanks again for, for talking and, and taking your time to, to do this and no problem. Adam. I'll, I'll, I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks very much. Fantastic. Good chat. All right, all the best. Thanks, Adam.
big, big thank you once again to Ross in Ireland for his time. And thank you for listening to, to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, found it interesting or, or entertaining. If, if you did like the show, um, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe, you could, could, could leave a, a comment or a review or, or share the, the podcast with, with any friends you may have that you think might, might also find the, the podcast interesting or take something from it. So until next week, I've been Adam. Thank you again for listening and goodbye. <laughs>